Welcome to She's Wild, the podcast for women in land and development. I'm your host, Nancy Surak. I created this podcast as a way to collect conversations of women in the land and development industry. I've been a land broker on the West Coast of Florida for nearly 20 years, and I love to empower other women and to tell them about this amazing industry. But I find often that there just aren't enough women being featured on big stages, whether that's at local conferences or nationally. So I set out to find these women myself that are killing it in my business across North America that are changing the communities that they live in every single day, whether they're building condos, multifamily, single family, office or industrial projects. I hope that you will find this space to be inspirational, motivating, and educational. From time to time, I will feature women who are not only in my business, but also career coaches and motivational speakers. Hello, and welcome to She's Wild, the podcast, all for women in land and development. Today's guest is Monica Onstead, the president and CEO of On Place. Monica joins us today and is going to tell us all about her background, how she got into our great world of real estate and what she's doing in her new role. Monica, welcome to the show. Why don't you go ahead and dive right in and introduce yourself and tell us a little bit more about your background. Yes. Well, thank you, Nancy, for having me. I'm really excited to be here today. Um, So my background really, I don't know how to start. I've been in development 20 years now. So I started with community management, actually community association management in my mid twenties and really loved it. And I quickly became the new home community expert, right? So the company I was working for brought on a lot of new developments and loved it. Um, I was then hired by standard Pacific homes, um, dating myself since, you know, they are no longer around, (laughs) Um, but I was then hired by Standard Pacific Homes to do their community relations, community relations, served on all of their boards, um, HOA boards. And I just really fell in love with it. And I was able to do project management there, um, sales, lifestyle, everything. And that was in the San Francisco Bay area. And I just got hooked. I thought it was amazing how, you know, I grew up in this small town of Alabama with development was not a thing, right? You know, you built a house on the 25, maybe a hundred acres that you were given um, that was passed down from, from generation to generation. Development just wasn't a thing. And it was just so amazing that people were buying land and building houses on it. And then these consumers came and bought these. I just love the whole process of it. So, so when you were a young girl, did younger, I guess not a young girl, but did you go to school for real estate or mm-hmm. anything associated with real estate? No, I, I went to school for business management and I also have a master's in marketing. Uh, I just really fell into it. I think a lot of us do that, right? We fall into it. Maybe today you're going a little more, you know, toward a real estate degree, urban development, that type of thing. But I just really fell into it. I would say shockingly, the majority of women that I've interviewed have come from a different background. Yeah. Uh, And so I normally ask too, for folks who didn't go to school for this, is when you look back at your childhood, do you see trends that you're like, of course, I was going to end up in this spot? Do you you have that connection? I do. Yeah, I do. And I think that the connection for me is more around lifestyle, right? And 
how I grew up in a very connected community. And, you know, when I moved in my, um, I moved to California for college. So, um, to San Francisco and, and it was amazing to me how people just kind of went into their houses and closed the garage doors and didn't speak to their neighbors. That was so foreign to me, so foreign. (laughs) And so when I got into community management, I was like, I think this is an opportunity to change some of that. How can we connect our neighbors with one another? And I've really been doing that for 20 years now. And, and so all of that that I learned in Alabama growing up with, you know, we had a snowstorm snowstorm in 1993 and I was in high school and my dad was a farmer and he went to the local store, bought like so many gallons of milk and then delivered it to all the neighbors. Right. So those little things really um, helped me be better as what, not only as a professional and lifestyle, but also a human. Right. So, so I think all of that, that I, I learned growing up about what true community really is and how we, we step up for one another when times are hard, but also, you know, we celebrate each other when times are good. Right. Absolutely. And I, I think it's, it's, it's really cool for me to be able to interview you because I'm on such the front end of these deals that I don't typically have an opportunity to see the sense of place that's being created on the back end of the project. And that's really where you you spend your time and where you've spent your career, but it's such an important piece of, of community, whether it's like in your space, single family, or if you're doing it even in a more commercial setting, you know, we're mm-hmm. seeing that sense of place trickle over pretty aggressively, I think on the retail side, you know, yeah, absolutely. Wild success. So I would love for you to take me through too. Um, so you went to Standard Pacific, How, what brought you like, bring us closer to where you are now. Like I know you, yeah. a relative, your company is relatively uh, recently new. So mm-hmm. I want to hear the story about when you decided, Hey, I'm going to do my own thing. And this is why I'm doing my own thing to share that with us. Yeah. Well, so I, um, so my husband and I moved from San Francisco to DC area, the DC metro area. And I began working at a community called Willisford, Willisford, Virginia. It was one of the first agri hoods. And again, I fell in love with it. You know, it, it really mixed my farming background with the development and the community management. So there was just a way for me to really hone my skills into everything that I had done prior. Um, and I knew at that time, and this was in 2013, and I knew at that time that there was something to lifestyle in development, right? Like how we're making places, not just building developments, but how we're making places really affects the people that are moving into them. And I just got so into the lifestyle piece of it, right? I was, I was over the entire community from a management standpoint, but the lifestyle piece really attracted me. Uh, and Laura Cole, who um, now is senior vice president at Lakewood Ranch, worked with me at Willisford and uh, she recruited me down to Lakewood Ranch. And, and I took on the role there of heading the lifestyle and community relations. And again, it was, a it, this was, you know, Lakewood Ranch is a, is huge, um, more than 50,000 residents and they've done an amazing job at development. And I kept thinking, 
I think other people need this, right? Other developers need this. And uh, we also were able to do it here in Lakewood Ranch for a town center. So we, you know, I, I've, I understand the commercial piece of it too. And I think that's somewhere that's really um, probably going to take off in our future on how we get that experiential retail um, into these smaller town centers. But anyway, so about two years ago, I decided like, okay, I think I can do this as a business. Uh, and I started dreaming up my plan and, and really putting it you know, pen to paper and consulted a lot of people who are way smarter than me. And uh, it came to life. So now we are an amenity and um, a lifestyle consulting firm. We believe in placemaking. We think that you know our firm should be at the table at the raw land stage. So even during due diligence where they're, you know, you're brokering the land, I'm actually working with clients on the other side, helping them understand what they're going to create there um, on that piece of land. So it excites me because we have so many more developers and builders today who are saying, hey, let's figure out what we're going to do in terms of lifestyle. Like, let's really create that before they draw some of the first plans. So instead of saying the old way is like, okay, let's design the building or, you know, keep the same amenity and then we'll just put lifestyle in it. Um, it's really becoming a trend to do it the other way. Which I find fascinating. And I think it's awesome um, because I, I often tell people, I don't give myself enough credit for directing a piece of property for what it ultimately becomes. Because I'm right. selling it and my job yeah. is to get it sold. But there's a significant amount of thought that I put into what needs to be on that property. What's missing from that community? How can we make the community better? Who should I be really pitching this land to? Um, whether it's residential or commercial, like I'm looking at all, it's like a Rubik's cube. I'm moving the pieces mm-hmm. around in my head and I'm looking at just how to make a place better. Yeah. And then that will direct how I market a piece of property right. and who I'm talking to and wanting to make sure that I'm engaging the right type of buyer for the right ultimate project. So I love that you're involved in the front yeah. end of the deal. I was going to ask you, how early do you get involved? Yeah. Uh, because I typically, especially when it's a, a buyer from outside of the area, I will say, here's what this community is missing and what they are desperate to have. Um, and sometimes people believe me and trust me and they'll go in that direction. And other times they're like, yeah, yeah, what do you know? Um, but I'll say, you know, you can't just look at a demographic report or look at some market study. You have to have boots on the ground and you have to have that kind of knowledge of how are things working. Um, so I love that you're doing it on the early end. Love it, love it, love it. Um, but I would like to kind of take a step back. Um, I would imagine most people understand that are listening, what creating a sense of place really means and what lifestyle really means. But I would love for you to better define exactly what you do on a project in the beginning to help that developer have ultimate success. Like what is it when you're creating that lifestyle? What do you focus on? Well, first it's the amenities, right? And you want to make sure you're building the right amenities. And and I believe that you don't always have to build structures or so many of them that parks, trails, it's a huge piece of what we're looking for. Our consumers are really looking for today. And I'm now speaking specifically to the the single family home residential market. Um, So I think that uh, it's of course the amenities, but I try to back it up from there and say, 
what, again, what's surrounding the community where we're building the community we're building, what's missing, what's the demographic, who's our buyer or who's our client trying to attract, right? Who is our target audience? What do they like? I do a lot of behavioral analysis, right? So, so what do they like? And, and then it's also about the property itself. Is there any history to it? You know, what can we bring out? How do we make this the most authentic as we possibly can? Right? So, uh, you know, I try not to make, you know, cookie cutter type things. I want it to be authentic. I want there to be a reason why the consumers move there, the buyers move there. I feel like that we need to help them create traditions, right? So I always say, we're all moving from somewhere, especially in Florida, right? So we're coming from somewhere. We're probably leaving our main street behind, our traditions behind. You know, how are we going to help them quickly create things like that in this community? And that's really where we start. So it, it's, it's kind of um, interesting that, you know, I'm, I'm in a room with a lot of landscape architects, architects, and, you know, and, and I'm like, okay, but what's our vision? <laughs> you know, what is, what do we want it to be? And, and I love that piece of it because typically my clients come out and they're like, okay, yes, we want this vision. But then I'm also quick to know, to say, okay, we've got to right size that vision, right? So, you know, what are we charging for the homes? What's the HOA going to be? We have to make sure that that vision fits within that budget as well. So it's a lot of vision, but it's also a lot of the financial piece of it, right? Because, you know, I'm there to help increase the ROI for my client. And while we want to put them in the best marketing position possible, we also have to make sure that it's right-sized and that we are doing things that um, help from a, a, a long-term standpoint, the operation piece of how the, um, the lifestyle program is going to operate, if you will, um, maybe saving some dollars that way as well. Right. So talk to me about some of the trends. What are the big trends you're seeing right now in the um, lifestyle space and creating the sense of, of place in the communities? You know, I think that one wellness, I mean, I feel like we're now, I feel like it's been a trend for a long time. We're just now naming it, right? We're putting a name um, and wellness has been around for a long time, but outdoor wellness specifically here in Florida, where pre-pandemic, we did not want to be outdoors in, especially in South Florida during the summertime, right? Like you just didn't do it. It's too hot, too hot. Weather's not great. Um, after the pandemic, we really saw people not care about the weather so much that they would endure the heat. Um, as long as there's shade, they'll endure the heat. So I think that's one of the big things that it's not only wellness, it is outdoor wellness. Um, we've seen, especially here in Florida. Um, another would be um, um, work from home, right? That's how do we engage those work from home residents where they don't have a community because they've moved from somewhere else, right? How do we help them build their community? Um, I think that's a big piece. And I don't talk like to me, lifestyle is not just about events and parties and that type of thing. It's about building a true community. And I think that crosses between commercial and residential. How do you connect those lo local businesses to those residents and vice versa? You know, I really want the people who live, move into the communities that, um, I help, I want them to be able to quickly build their community. You know, I, I remember I've moved around a lot, right? In development, you move around typically, right? You, you work yourself out of a job, you go to the next, the next job. And, and so I've moved around a lot. And, 
you know, it always took me three, four or five years to really get into my community. I want my residents that move into these communities to, to shorten that um, and, and to really feel like it's their community the day they move in. So I think I'm going off on a tangent. So, so you said the trends are outdoor wellness and wellness. Uh, engagement, really, right? Engagement, Fast engagement yes. from a community standpoint. Um, what's happening on the on the party side? You, you touched, but it's not always about the events and the party planning. I mean, that had to be crazy challenging during COVID when people don't want to have interaction. How do you create that sense of community when... when yeah. Now, tell me a story about that. How did you guys create a sense of community when people didn't want to have interaction? You had to be really super yeah, creative, so right? We did have to be super creative. And at that time I was with Lakewood Ranch. So I was heading their community relations and lifestyle and it was a challenge. So, um, you know, March 16th was the day the world shut down. Um, I, and that Friday I said to my team, I called them all together on a conference call, right? Cause we couldn't be together and said, okay, we're going to go virtual. Like we have to do something for our residents. Our residents are so used to having us in their lives or having this programming in their lives. How do we take the programming we have and put it online and connect the businesses? How do we do this? And, you know, my team responded amazingly in 10 days, we had our first program up on um, live on Facebook and, you know, at Lakewood ranch, we have, a, they have a great, um, Facebook following. So we were, we had that built in audience. Um, my backyard became our filming studio <laughs> and oh, wow. uh, we just, we just, you know, in 10 days, we had a full program up. We did everything from we, um, our music series that we had on Wednesday nights here. We put that up. We connected local restaurants for takeout service. So we would advertise their takeout service on, we um, employed as many local artists that we could. So the musicians that we were using, so they were having a hard time making it. So we connected community in more ways than one um, and, and really helped our residents have an outlet you know, we did a Sunday brunch online with local um, um, restaurants where we would advertise, like, here's where you can get your takeout brunch. Um, and then we also did that with um, um, artists. And then we used some of our programs that we had for, for example, yoga. We brought in a, um, a, someone to do yoga for us. We did a meditation. And then today, Lakewood Ranch still has their um, orientation, their new homeowner orientation virtual because it worked so well. So now today we're back outdoors, but we're also indoors um, at those events and pretty much all of the virtual stuff is available to look at, but it's gone back to, to in-person programming now. Great. Um, and I, I asked uh, on a recent episode, somebody, what, what did they think the key skills were to be successful in this business? And um, one of my guests gave me what I thought was a little bit of a surprising answer. She said creativity, but you embody that 100%. Like you, um, I like to say you, it's the art of the pivot because you never know what's coming. No matter how much experience you have, there's something new you're going to learn on the next deal. Um, But to, you have just such a fun job, you know, I'm like, Oh, I want your job. Like it sounds like join me to be able to join (laughs) 
people in a, in a social setting, whether that's in person or, or virtually is really, really cool. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I often ask too, like, what is the most challenging thing that's ever happened in your career? But I have a feeling you're going to tell me COVID, uh, but maybe you have a different answer. Um, has there um, been a challenge you've had to overcome or something that didn't go quite as you might've expected? I mean, COVID was hard, but I think COVID was a huge learning experience and that was, it was a challenge. It was a big challenge, but it was also a ne- the next step in my evolution, if you will, because I always say that you've got to be able to pivot no matter what industry you're in. Pivoting is, you know, we, <laughs> you know, my team joked during COVID that we didn't only pivot you know, for COVID, we pivoted pretty much daily, right? <laughs> because there was all these different, you know, things coming out. We're like, oh, we can't do that. Let's pivot. Um, or, you know, we do a lot of social listening, right? So it's like, oh, that's not great. Let's pivot to this. Um, and so pivoting is great. But I'll tell you that the challenging thing, the most challenging thing in my, my career actually happened before my development career. Um, I was a farmer, and that's probably going to shock you, um, but I, mean, I grew you up said on- you were from Alabama, so that <laughs> right, makes sense. Right. <laughs> um, but uh, so yeah, I was a, a farmer in Alabama in my very early twenties. My dad owned um, a twenty five hundred acre farm, row cropping corn, soybean, and wheat, and he was diagnosed with um, terminal cancer at that time, and. He asked me to come home and run the farm. I knew nothing about farming, had nothing, um, no experience in farming. I was a female in the South and you just didn't get to, when I was growing up, you just didn't operate on the farm. You didn't work on the farm as a female. And uh, so I went home, um, quit college. I quit everything and went home with 24 hours notice and took over the operation of this farm and my dad left for cancer treatment for six weeks. And I didn't know how to do anything. (laughs) I didn't know how to manage people. I had a team of, I think we had about nine or 10 people at that time. They were all more than twice my age. Some were three plus times my age. And, you know, I I really, I worked hard. I learned how to um, operate farm equipment. I can drive an 18 wheeler now. Um, I don't have the opportunity to do that much anymore. Um, And, you know, I learned all about crops and how to um, plant crops and how to harvest and um, things I never thought I would um, need, but it was the hardest time of my life. Um, of course, you know, battling with my, you know, my, my dad having cancer, but also, trying to figure it out. And it's 20 hour days on, fa- on the farm, right? And you just don't sleep. It's, it's just nonstop. And I could, I could never do it today. Um, but it was the hardest thing, but I think it taught me so much about how to pivot, uh, perseverance, you know, and just respect for farmers on what they go through. I mean, understanding Absolutely. how they, they have this connection with the land that is so important because they don't get, the, the credit or the pay, um, but they probably that they, most of them deserve. And, you know, it's just, it's a hard, hard job. And, and when they only have a few places to market their grain or what, it's just, it's a hard job. And, and so a ton of respect goes out to farmers. And, but that was the most challenging. I actually today, every tough situation I say, well, is it worse or better than farming? <laughs> right? Like, is it harder oh, wow. than farming? 
Um, because if it's not harder than farming, I need to stop complaining and just do it. <laughs> that's, that's great. Um, you know, I had something happen to me, not in my twenties, but when I was a young girl, similar that I had to work through in my childhood. And I, I often say it, that's where I learned the resilience it's, and, and I draw on that experience all the time. I go, you know what? I've seen this before. This really isn't, like you said, this isn't that big of a deal. It'll work its way out. Uh, and I draw on that uh, quite a bit, especially in negotiations when things get really, really tough. I will tell, you know, my landowners, it's, it's okay. Take a deep breath. This might actually go away by the morning. Like yeah. let this, the dust settle a bit. And let's reevaluate where, where we're at next. Um, so I really appreciate the fact that you shared that story about, you know, being a young woman in such a male dominated part of the world and industry. And it makes perfect sense that you would transition right into the development world and be like, oh, yeah, this is no big deal. Yeah. Um, so whether it's, it's when you're younger or when you've been programmed, what's uh, something that's caught you completely off guard? What's the strangest thing you've ever encountered? Um, Any good stories about yes. crazy? Well, it was, it was community management. Um, you know, there's a lot of good stories there. And um, I once had my tires slit by a resident. Yes. Uh, let's see. I was stalked by a HOA board member. And um, yeah, those were two of the, like the, I had a death threat, um, as that, you know, and it was, uh, that was sort of like, okay, wait, community management needs to be, you know, like, this is not the way, this is not the norm across Here the I industry was thinking, at all. Here I was um, thinking you were doing all this party planning and then yeah. you're having people threaten your life. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, I'm just trying to make you happy people. You know, clearly I'm not doing my job at that point. Um, but, but that was, you know, it, that is certainly not the norm in community management, but, you know, sometimes you can run across people that, um, you know, really take things seriously. Um, and I think that had helped me really understand what I think may not be that important or that big of a deal, but to someone else it could be. So just use caution at that. Um, so yeah, that was probably the crazy. I mean, you asked me the craziest and the, the, the kind of that's, out of the box thing that happened. And that's, I, I can't lie. I mean, that's the craziest. Well, and I would imagine that there's a lesson there too, right? Whatever that yes. was that tilted that yeah. person over the edge, mm-hmm. like you learned from that. Absolutely. I think that, yeah, I learned, um, that the connections that we have with people that, what I'm seeing may not be what they're seeing. Right. So like we need to, these poor people, they were going, something was going on in their lives. Right. And I was, you know, young and just, Hey, this is what needs to happen and let's just do it. I think I learned that sometimes we have to take a step back Um, while their behavior was not okay. It was, we have to take a step back and we have to look at how we're influencing others through our decisions. Yeah, and you mentioned a term earlier, social listening. Yes. I think that's connected, right? Like what, what is social listening? It's it's paying attention to what people are communicating to you, correct? Yes, to me on social media, on okay. um in any form, right? So um I I really try to listen. I really try to pay attention and to understand where people are coming from in terms of their their attitudes. And recognize that we're all experiencing something and we have different life experiences. And 
you know, from the, the social media listening piece, I spend a lot of time on social media, not because I want to, you know, check my status or whatever. It's, you know, I spent a lot of time um, from our client's perspective on um, different groups of people moving into um, different communities and why they would move there. And um, I have a client in Houston. I'm right now looking at the social um, media around the, in the Mm -hmm. communities around their community, right? Why is someone choosing that community over another community? I think that's important. A lot of people are communicating um, on social about where they're moving to or why they want to move there. And, you know, if you love your community, you're on social media telling people that you love the community. So I do a lot of social listening that way as well. That's cool. Um, And I would imagine you're identifying trends there Mm -hmm. too, right? With all the different... um, age categories that go into these communities that you're supporting. Like they're, I would imagine you're doing retirees all the way to first time home buyers and they have different needs. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. I, again, like I'm fascinated by what you do and how you help both the developer and the community really thrive. Um, and, and you touched on earlier, the return on investment. I would imagine that you could really influence the success of a project just by, by looking at it through that lens. So I I think it's phenomenal that you have that opportunity to be a part of the projects in that way. Um, So before we wrap up, I I like to always ask uh, three final questions. Uh, One is if a young woman reached out to you and said, uh, Monica, like, I think I want to go into real estate and I think I want to go into commercial development or residential development. Um, do you have any advice for me? What would you tell her? I would tell that, um, tell her to, first of all, pay attention to those around you, right? Pay attention to what they're doing. Um, understand, get a feel of what you like and what you don't like. Understand um, that you need to do the things you don't like as well. Right? So, so you know, there's some things I did in my career that I didn't love, but I knew that they were a stepping stone for me to get to the next place. So, um, find some advisors, some trusted advisors, people that you feel have, have really made, not just because they're a CEO, but because they've made different steps throughout their career that's really landed them to that position, right? How do they treat other people, that type of thing. Um, and I would say that, never, ever settle, keep pushing, earn that seat at the table, and then know that you deserve to be there. And that is your seat at the table. And then finally, um, I, I, I always tell people that when it comes to that day and you feel that you're the smartest person at that table, change rooms, change environments, don't be afraid to move on when you need to learn and, and help whoever you're helping at the time, whatever company it is, learn, grow, help them succeed. But when it's time to move, don't be afraid to do it. Make that move. Um, but think about it. You know, it's got to be a wise decision. But, um, you know, fear can really set us back. And I think that the way we get over fear is just keep moving, right? Just one step at a time, just keep moving. So so that's a lot, but- um, No, I think I would, that's you know. great. I, I would echo all of that. Um, so thank you for sharing. Uh, the next thing I usually ask is 
Um, and I know that you're a relatively young mother or new mother or recent, I don't know if this is one or two or which number, but so you may not have time for this, but if you did have time to read a book or listen to a book or a podcast, is there something that you find incredibly inspirational to fill your mind in that way that you could share with our audience? My favorite podcast. So I, I don't have a lot of time to read books these days. I, I do um, more uh, podcasts. I love, I'm a podcast junkie. Awesome. And um, it's, it, maybe you've um, listened to this one, but The Moth, M-O-T-H, okay. have you? Oh, okay, so it's, it's all about storytelling. So people um, come on the show and it's in front of a live audience, typically not during COVID, but um, typically during a live, live audience and they tell their stories. And these awesome. everyday experiences just seem sh- so extraordinary. And, um, and, you know, the moth podcast, they help teach the people how to tell their stories. Right. And they're just everyday people telling their stories. And I'm a big storyteller. I love the whole story. I, I think that from a um, community standpoint, you know, there's so many great communities out there. Um, sometimes when our clients, they just need help telling their story. Um, and that's the thing I learn a lot of, you know, it's not like how to tell a story 101, but it's about people telling their stories and how that connection, um, really, I mean, you will know these people and they're telling their stories in like 10 minutes of the moth. That's the that's my big recommendation. Go definitely check that out. Um, you know, and I always ask that question really for my own benefit. I'll I'll be honest. Like I, I ask it, but it's really because I'm like you, like I'm a podcast junkie. I love to listen to various podcasts because that when I walk my dog, that's what I do. Unless I really need to like take that 20 minutes to really think through something. I have my AirPods in and I'm listening mm-hmm. to something. So that's why I always ask that question because I'm looking for the next thing to, to kind of plug into. So thank you. Okay. Uh, and You're going to have to let me know. You're going to have oh, to let me I know will. if you like it. I will. So. Um, I can't wait because I'm like, ooh, storytelling. <laughs> Um, uh, finally, I like to ask if, uh, somebody is listening and they wanted to keep up with you or connect with you through your business, um, or personally, is there, you said you watch a lot of social media or you're engaged on the listening side. Um, is, are you active on social media? Is there a place that they could follow you, whether that's LinkedIn or, or Instagram or something? Yeah, absolutely. So um, on Instagram, it's on place, O-N-P-L-A-C-E, lifestyle. On um, LinkedIn, we're on place, O-N-P-L-A-C-E, the company. You can also find me, Monica Smith Onstead. Um, you can follow me there. And we also have a website, onplace.life. Awesome. Well, that's great. And again, I want to thank you for joining me on She's Wild. It's been a pleasure to get to know you a little bit better. Your energy is completely infectious. I love it. I loved talking to you and I'm, I'm wishing you all the best in your new endeavor. And, you. and I know you're going to find great success uh, in creating, you know, really wonderful places for people to, to live, work and play. So thanks again for joining thank me. And thank you, um, Nancy. I, I can't wait to see what you're going to do next and the next award that you're going to receive. Thank you so much. Have a good one. Okay, you too. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us for another episode of She's Wild, the podcast for women in land and development. If you enjoyed today's show, please go out and rate us so that we can be found by other women in our industry. And if you know women who are working in land and development, please share this podcast with them. And if you know a total rock star woman, 
badass chick who is killing it in land and development anywhere in North America, I want to know who she is. Please reach out to me so that I can feature her on an upcoming episode.